I've had a week to think about how miraculous, but also how frail and vulnerable is this body that we are given. How vulnerable we are and how vulnerable I was to its rhythms, its moods, its fluctuations, its openings and its closings, literally its holiness, <laughs> was brought to my attention this week by a friend who came to visit me that I am, he called me, a shomer brachot, someone who observes blessings, a blesser. And like many observant Jews, every day is full of the opportunity to practice what Max Kedushin said very beautifully is normal or normative mysticism. Mystical moments in Jewish practice are found indeed on mountaintops, it's true, but more likely in the minutia of the day-to-day, in blessing moments. And nowhere is a blessing more oddly placed or more accurately placed than after one has gone to the bathroom. Believe it or not, our rabbis in their amazing wisdom enjoying that when we experience that moment of deep vulnerability, that moment of deep humanity, we are to bless Galui It is well known to you, God, if one of them were to be opened or one of them were to be closed, if that delicate balance that is held always within us, unbeknownst to us, were to be even minutely tinkered with, we would sense how miraculous our equilibrium truly is. Now, being sick this week had its perks. A week of being in bed can give you a lot to read, a lot to watch, a lot to listen to, and a lot to sleep. But at the end of the day, one is left with an endless rumination, I think, a meditation of sorts on, on the illusion of control. The loss of that which I take for granted, that we take for granted, that those who are ill don't. Swallowing was difficult. And I never realized how many times a minute I try to swallow. The question that lingered for me all week was, if so much in my body is indeterminate and unstable, so much is orderly but utterly beyond my control, and if that is in some very profound but also banal way the truth of reality, day to day, how can we, once coming upon the brokenness of that orderly system, once that trust has been broken, once that trust has been laid to waste, how can we rebuild? How can we indeed mend and heal from those disappointments where that which should have been didn't go exactly as it should have done? 
when that which was expected disappointed, when so much was riding and came up short. This question, I think, is at the heart of the question of Rav Chaim Ibn Attar in this week's Torah portion, or at least the first leg of it. It's a double portion this week. Acharimot Kidoshim. Acharimot is the first portion, and as its name, Acharimot, reveals, it is it begins with the episode of Nadav and Aviyu, the sons of Aaron, who died some three weeks ago in Parshat Shemini. Acharei Mot... The Torah says in the beginning of the portion, reminding us of that death, literally the after death. What comes after the death of these two children, of these two sons of Aaron? And Rav Chaim Ibn Attar says here, we know that the beginning of chapter 16 of the book of, of Leviticus, which is this week's Torah portion, is read in another context. Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur Day, we read Acharimot, chapter 16 of Leviticus. We read again about the sons of Aaron. And it acts as a prelude to the entire rite of the Yom Kippur, of the priestly offering. So the beginning, the beginning caption of the, the, of the portion dealing with Aaron's ritual, his cultic moment in the temple, begins after the death. And so is Rav Chaim Ibn Attar, the Orachayim HaKadosh, he says, since when do we have in the Torah, and it was after these events? Where do we have in any other portion of the Torah that the Torah narrates, specifically before halachic pieces? This is not narrative portion here that Aaron would take a bull and so on. What is the significance, he asks, of it was after these things, of, be, of bringing back into our consciousness what took place? a number of parshiot ago, and it was after the death of Aaron's children. Simply one could answer, well, it was after the death of Aaron's children. The next day, as Rashi and other mefarshim, other commentators say, that's exactly when Aaron was given these laws, and so it makes sense. But for Chaim Ibn Attar and for us, something else is happening. What is the significance of the, of the sons of Aaron's death? as a prelude to Yom Kippur and the rite of atonement. So I would like to share with you some thoughts on that. Every point of contact between death and life, every point of growth in our own lives is navigated by a great decision. To go beyond what is, to move into the unknown, an uncharted territory, or to stay put, to conserve, to consolidate, to heed caution and care. Should I stay or should I go? Would be the colloquial way of saying that. Every challenge in our lives involves us in the tension, the dynamic expression between movement out, beyond, and movement within. The two sons of Aaron are an expression of that yearning to go beyond. Simply put, whether you believe whatever the commentators say on what the the sin of the children of Aaron was, 
Essentially, the Torah is reminding us at this moment that something went awry. Something was mistaken. Something that shouldn't have happened, happened, and whatever it was. And the Torah wants to bring to our attention the most important character of this week's Torah portion. The most important character is not the two sons of Aaron. The two sons of Aaron come in only to highlight the depth and the power and the grace of another character. And that character is Aaron the priest, the father of these two boys. And if we were to read this story to some degree allegorically, we could say that the two boys represent something the Torah wants to remind us went horribly askew. There was a wound, there was a pain. And the question the Torah brings up this Shabbat and every single Yom Kippur is, what will Aaron do? What will Aaron do in the aftermath of Acharei Mot? What will Aaron be? What will Aaron be for his community? What will Aaron be for himself? How will Aaron rise to the occasion that has been presented to him in his life? Howard Thurman, the great theologian, went so far as to enumerate growth as one of the five core spiritual practices that he enumerates in his book, Spiritual Disciplines. He writes, growth always means the experience of crisis. It is created by two forces making contradictory demands simultaneously. On the one hand, there is the push toward the new, Aaron's sons, the unexplored, the unknown, and the untried. This is the essential pull of all adventure. It causes the child to get into trouble, to reach for the matches and for the electric sockets, and the adult to go beyond. And on the opposite end, there is the yearning to consolidate, to pull back. The fear of what took place, of what could take place. To move forward, he writes, or stay put, is to risk error. To honor the impulse to grow, to reconnect, to recommit, in spite of the threat of mistake, of being wrong again, of being vulnerable and opening ourselves to the painful possibility of loss is one of the great challenges of growth. Thurman goes on to say, to guard against this and be prepared to deal with it when it occurs is an authentic discipline of the spirit. To be victimized by error and at the same time to keep making choices with integrity is to grow in grace. I want to read that again because I read a lot, but that's the point. To be victimized by error and at the same time keep making choices with integrity is to grow in grace. I love that. You could put that up as our mantra at Roman or at any, any storefront where people are doing spiritual practices. And that would be sufficient, dayenu. We want to keep growing in grace. And don't be afraid of that word. It appears also in our tradition. <laughs> to keep growing in grace is to keep open the possibility of the next time being slightly different. 
Bezos Yavo Aaron El Akodesh, Bezot Yavo Aaron El Akodesh, with this Aaron will come in and perform the Yom Kippur ritual. Even though Achare Mot, even though that was the place where his sons were taken, even though that was the very same place where mistakes took place. Aaron is enjoined, and we are all enjoined. In spite of it, in spite of the pain, in spite of the mistakes, to have the integrity to make choices with integrity and to grow in grace. And that's the meaning of Acharimot for the Orachayim. That's why every Yom Kippur, when we are going over our list of mistakes and our misdeeds and our almost and our missed opportunities, we begin Acharimot to remind us of Aaron, of the one who had the integrity to make the choice again and again and again to step in and say yes. Over and over again in the Jewish community, our attrition rates are staggering. The problem of membership and stepping into community. Those who leave with the wounds of an institution that didn't meet their needs. An institution that didn't grow with them, that didn't meet them where they were. A Judaism that they wish could have been but didn't become. Over and over again, we hear the litany of complaints. But it's about time that we hear instead a willingness that Afal Pichain, that even though, even though shuls and other authority figures haven't met us where we needed to be met, it's time for us to infuse our commitments with vigor. It is time for us to step in. It isn't time to recede. This is a timely message, not only for commitment to this community and to every Jewish community, but to all of the processes where cynicism lurks, where just because our hopes were dashed by someone who made a promise or because of something we grew to count upon disappointing us, we don't have an excuse. This is the only body we have. This is the system we were given. This is the political environment that has been bequeathed to us. It is time for us to step forward and to heal, to plug the holes, and to open the heart.